All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode 41 of the KISS FAQ podcast. I'm Julian Gill, the admin and the host of the show. Joining me today is Alex Stranger, bag boy on the FAQ. Yeah, you've not been here for a while, so you've changed a little bit. You've got some grass growing on your face. Well, congratulations for hitting adulthood. (laughs) Ken? (laughs) Yeah, that is not Lonnie. Uh, Ken, welcome back. Bat Lizard on the board. Always good to see you. And Mark from the Great White North. Canada, for those who don't know. Welcome back. Today's episode, or actually, let's just say thank you for watching or listening to the last episode. There's been some good conversation on KISS 2.0 and some complete disagreement about some of our views, some additional ones. Um, You know, that was, I think, quite productive. It got people thinking about what may or may not happen. And obviously, it was a theoretical, so um, anything is possible. So we do love your comments, and always feel free to chime in on the board on the uh, the video streams or wherever we post this on uh, Facebook. And, uh, you know, let's talk more because everyone else gets to be a part of the discussion too. Also this week, what uh, book has been uh, published, and you know what? It wasn't written by me. It is Shouted Out Loud, The Story uh, yes. of Destroyer by James Campion. It is a nice thick book like mine with lots of detail and minutia, my favorite word, on the making of that album, which is, of course... Kiss's highest selling studio album as officially recognized by the RIAA. So people will be starting to get their copies of that book, which will no doubt make an episode or a lot of discussion in the future. Today, however, we're going to go in-house and talk about my book. I should say my and Tim books. See, everyone's even got one. Oh, I'm touched. Um, obviously, that came out on September the 18th. Get the freaking date right, Mr. Gill. Um... And has now been coming up to a month. It was off like gangbusters. Did very well um, uh, in terms of uh, most successful Kiss FAQ published title ever for its first couple of weeks of release. And then it's kind of died to death. So let's talk about that one today. Um, And I'm going to throw this open. I may be hosting today, but I'm throwing this open to these guys who get to ping me and talk about stuff they like in the book, stuff they don't like in the book, interviews that were particularly interesting or features you know it's just all about this book um which is of course all about 1978 it's not just about the solo albums even though that is the predominant theme we have to support everything about the solo albums of what was going on with kiss in 1978 i'm looking at some of the reviews on amazon which does not make me happy um some people didn't get why we did the additional features because you can't talk about the solo albums without talking about what was going on around and within the band at the same time. And for 1978, 78 wasn't just about the solo albums. 78 was about the movie. It was about the the trading cards and really the explosion. So before I monologue too long, I'm going to throw this out there um, for anyone to start in any way they want. Mark. I'll start. I'll start. Okay, I'm going to just start by saying this. Just bear with me. As you can see, I have this book. I have this book. That's Joe Perry, right? Yeah. This is my nothing to lose, but I I lost the uh, front cover. got ripped up by my pet dog. So it did Um, have something to lose. 
Yeah. I have got to get that Going Platinum book. I hear it's really, really good. And of course, Mr. Stanley's book. Now, the reason why I'm saying that, that is like touching, not even touching the tip of the iceberg of how many books I got. I got literally like almost a hundred kind of books like this, okay? And I'm going to go on record easily to say that this book is going to fall easily in my top three of best books I've ever gone through easily, hands down. One of the big things about this book that I'm going to hype about is that very rarely do I find a book like this about an act or an artist where I can just go yoink, open it anywhere in the book, and be totally fascinated by what I'm reading. Like you can, you can open this. Like I just opened it on Bob Kulick. Like, what, and, and then you, you can just start anywhere in this book, and have so many great things in here. And also being a musician myself, and loving the minutia of stuff like recording stuff and you know recording studios and audio tricks and stuff like that. The fact that there's a interview in here with Rob Rob Freeman is it? I think it is. Yeah, the Rob, Rob from did, Plaza uh, Sound. Please. I mean, that interview alone, I was like reading, and if somebody was talking to me, I literally, I just told him to just shut up for a little while, because I was so into that interview about all the little tidbits of the recording, and the kind of board they used, and what kind of microphone, like, I'm, if you're into that stuff, you'll love this book. If you're into what's going on with the industry stuff, the Larry Harris interview will be awesome. If you like, you know, songwriting stuff, there's Michael Jaff, is it his name? Yeah, Ma- the late yeah, Michael Jaff. Yeah, he's in there. I mean, anything that you want to know from any aspect of these solo albums, it's in here. Like, why wouldn't you? But you'd be an idiot not to buy this book if you like this kind of stuff, you know? So I'm going to start off like that. Holy shit. Oh, holy shit. You know, it sounds like we're making an infomercial. That's really positive and great. Uh, You know, Rob Freeman is one of the most insanely good interviews I've ever read. And Tim, speaking the language, Tim has a very musical background, so he can speak the language. And there's two interviews I'm going to call out on there. One you've just mentioned is Rob Freeman. And for anyone who does not have the book and has not bought it, if you want to sample the full interview, for the Rob Free from Rob Freeman is freely available on Kiss seventy eight soloalbums dot com. That's one that just had to be put out there again. You know, obviously two years after the original feature ran because he goes into so much detail. And you know what? They did very very little of the album there really. You know, they finished up Ace's album at Plaza Sound where he was the engineer. Um, you know, so he 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 was there for the recording of New York Groove because they re recorded that there. Um, after not liking the takes that they'd done at Colgate, and they didn't even like the first take they did at Plaza Sound. So he remembers microphones. He remembers, you know, people who were coming in to do the the background vocals and Ace finishing up the album there, which is where the overdubs were done. And it is just a fantastic read, and he's got a great memory, and he also is very expressive and very clear. So he he's a, a really fun one. Ken, let's go to you. Yeah, I pretty much agree with Mark. Um... You know, the thing about it is, <clears throat> I was thinking yesterday, is it's, what is that, that six degrees of separation, or what is it, yeah, right? Yeah, six um, degrees. <clears throat> yeah. Um, everyone is really interconnected. All the people that you, these interviews pretty much seem to know each other, or know each other through someone else. Everything is like one big, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but mu- music, musician, family. Um, and they all know each other or worked with each other or got, uh, 
I forget the person who said that, you know, uh, Vinnie Pontia, you know, uh, is the guy who got him his job. And then he, later on, he picked him up to help record with, I think, uh, Peter. Um, yeah, that was Tom, so Tom I, Saviano was the right, mentor right. by Vinnie so, Pontia. Stuff like that. I mean, I, I wrote a couple of things down that I, I thought were interesting. It was about the, uh, you know, uh, the deal with uh, Sean Delaney. Uh, they talk about Sean Delaney a lot. I mean, he, in this, in this thing is everywhere. He's really, you know, a go-getter. He's outrageous kind of guy, mm -hmm. but he is, he's focused and he has tons and tons of ideas. And, you know, he, he was the fifth member of KISS. You know, he really was. Um, and then the other thing I wrote down here was, um, you know, they talk always about Gene and all the things that they, he's always very cordial, nice, you know, good with the, the people, the, the ensemble that they was working with them, yep. the background singers and so on. Um, you know, I, I didn't really find anybody that didn't, <clears throat> excuse me, didn't like Gene. Um, the other thing was, uh, oh, they were talking about the, um, Eddie Kramer, and he remembers a lot too. And then you know the thing about uh, Ace Ace singing on his back, and a lot of people know about that. Um, and then he said something that they, they, they put pillow or something under his head, and they you know that from the lay down on. And and then the other thing with that is uh, they talk about Kramer, um, his uh, they talk about doing a special you know like a special edition of the solo album. You know, would he like to remaster it? And, you know, he'd, he'd do it. He said there's no sense in re remixing it, really, but uh, remastering and, and maybe finding other songs that, uh, you know, I would were. absolutely love an Ace Frehley Deluxe Edition. I mean, we yeah. know we know yeah. All for Nothing is out there, and I, I, it's now circulating, as far as I'm aware, the actual instrumental demo. Um, and obviously there's Ozone. But there, there's. I would love to hear the original cuts of New York Groove that they did at Colgate and the first attempt right. at uh, at Plaza Sound. And so there, there's material, and also I think Mark Cicchini on Three Sides mentioned the disco remix of New York Groove, which never got released but got created. So you know to have those on an extended edition would be fantastic. Yeah, and he had a lot. Of, I guess a lot of, has a lot of pictures. Uh... Kramer does that he took in the yep, studio. Yeah, Kramer took a lot. That. So that that'd be interesting to, to see that. The other yeah. thing I mentioned is uh, about the the one story uh, about uh, Vinnie Poncia where when he they were recording with him, he's in the booth first. I guess he sit with you and, and make sure everything's done right before they get into the regular recording of the album. But when he sits when he's in the booth and they record after they do the take of the recording. His, if his head is like this, you know, like down, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good take. Yeah. The only time the only time he'd be good if his head was you know up. <laughs> it was, it was a, I thought that was kind of funny, but yeah, the whole thing is great. I mean, uh, even going into this book where you talk about even what was going on in 1978, the period you kind of pick up that period of time, what's going on, the music scene, the albums that you list that. Some of the albums that are listed during that time, I have, I have all but two of those. I had all but two of those at that time, which is kind of funny. I was like, oh yeah, I had that one. I had this one. And so uh, the whole thing is is just fantastic. And that section, that section was totally Tim's idea. I I loved the idea of putting in some of the contemporary albums. I I don't recall who came up with the list. Uh, I love having Power Age 
which is my all-time favorite ACDC album. I think it is better than Highway Than Hell, Highway to Hell, and better than Back in, Back in Black any day of the week. That is their best album for me. Uh, and Stained Class, Judas Priest's best album, second only to uh, Sad Wings. But, you know, I, I love that song. It just gives you a picture of the music business at the time and, you know, what were the contemporaries, you know, and what were some of the big albums and the ones that weren't so big because look at the, those two albums I just mentioned didn't chart highly. So, you know, that, that was a good idea, Tim, to so kind the, of... So the other thing, just to conclude, uh, you know, like, Mark, there's so much minutiae uh, in this, that any any Kiss fan uh, is going to be happier, interested in something in this book, whether it's about the recording, uh, the songs. You know, they talk about the songwriting together in certain instances. Whoever you know, certain guys wrote with Paul or whoever. Um, so it's it's definitely worth a, you know, a pickup. Yeah, and you mentioned Sean Delaney, and that's one thing that comes across, especially when. I, I did, the, I think, the last interview for the book, which was Richie Rana, um, who, of course, was the guitarist in Stars, um, who were signed to Allcoin Management. And Sean Delaney just comes through, you know, whether it's it's Richie talking about him or some of the other views, interviews. Everything you hear about Sean as being that flamboyant, that driven, that insanely a creative personality just comes through again and again and again. And no matter how many times we hear of his importance to the band, whether it was in 1973 when he and Bill first get involved and start, you know, streamlining the band to later what he does, you know, producing Gene's album and helping Peter out. It, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's really reinforced here. And you're not, what I like about these interviews and not having the members of kiss interviewed is that it gives you the third party story and yeah a lot of them are all positive about it but it was a good experience for them obviously that they didn't come into these interviews saying ah shit you know I had to work with these bozos from KISS you know th there isn't that negativity it's all there's respect of what the band was doing even though it obviously didn't work out there's respect towards them as musicians in most cases so Alex thoughts You know, I uh, I love the book, I love the setup, and I love the fact that you included all the information from 1978 to kind of help build a story. Uh, being a, a history education major, I always had to take a lot of history classes, and that's one of the things with history, um, when it comes to writing any, um, you know, journals or historical books, is you're taking information and you're trying to piece together the story. And, and that was, like, the one thing I love with this. You know, you look at this Kiss solo album experience, if you want. It was such a, you know, a monumentous occasion, uh, an event. And, it, you know, no band at the time had to have four members release solo albums on the same day. And here was a group doing that. And, you know, there's, there's not crazy too much that talks about it. You know, if you read any of the Kiss books, they mention, yeah, man, it did my record. Uh, but we were fighting at the time, you know, that's kind of what you get, you know, you might get, uh, you know, I'm Gene Simmons and I almost got the Beatles or whatever, you know, you get a little tidbits here or there, and this book really kind of captures and puts all that together, I mean, you know, it's a huge event, and there's really nothing there, and yet this book captures that, and again, you know, having the, the little notes from, you know, what singles or songs, you know, top the charts kind of a thing, uh, what other albums were out at the time, again, it helps build the story, I mean, 
records at the time, or you know, you always you always hear stories of I could only get one or two albums at the time. My parents wouldn't, you know, buy me all four at one time, you know. And, and it seems like music today, you just you don't go out and pay, you know, fifteen bucks for each CD. Kind of a deal. You might get one or two, and you have to wait to get the others. You know, what was what was the competing factor at the time? You know, what kept the kid from getting all four at one time? Yeah. And so forth. And you kind of get that story built up with it. Yeah, I'm kind of happy I wasn't a Kiss fan at the time because it would have been tough. Four albums coming out, and what, you're seven or eight or nine, or maybe a teenager, and having to try and find the scratch to buy four albums at once, that's where I think they missed, you know. Well, you know, another thing that I think that's important to bring up about this, too, is I know that, and while I haven't heard this yet, but I think that I wouldn't be surprised if people brought up one glaring omission from this book, but I think it's fantastic that they're omitted from this, is that there's none of the band members themselves interviewed in this book. And I think that's a really good thing, because as we all know, when you go to interview Gene, it's just him doing, you know, this, so you're never going to get an accurate story from him. Ace probably doesn't remember what happened yesterday, so asking him what happened in 1978 is probably not going to be too useful. Same with Peter. Chris, I mean, half of the information that he got from his own book is probably given, told to him by somebody else. And, I mean, Paul, you know, I just got through Paul's book a while ago, but, I mean, he seems to be the most, like, accurate with his memories to a degree. But, you know... I'd still rather hear it from the people involved rather from them themselves because they always seem to have some kind of agenda when you interview them about something. So keeping them out of this book was a stroke of mastery, I think, to do that. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was a stroke of mastery because, of course, uh, they were all asked. Um, whenever you do an unofficial project that it, you can run into challenges with the band because, obviously, they don't have editorial um, control and of course there are other matters that are very obvious as to a, a band member not necessarily wanting to be involved um, yeah. you know I, I'm going to agree with you on Paul, Paul goes into a lot of detail on his album actually he, he did a little bit more detail than I would have thought so his his book came out the year after this originally debuted as a web feature and at the time we did an interview and uh, or Tim did the interview. Let's make that straight. He did the vast majority of these interviews um, with, I think it was Doug Castoros. I can never say that his name correctly, so forgive me, Doug Gling. Um, and he he mentioned um, the inspiration for a lot of the songs on Paul's albums, and in, we we left it out at the time because it wasn't public knowledge, and, and we didn't uh, feel comfortable uh, leaving in the Carol Kay connection with Paul at the time. Uh, but since Paul's published that in his book, you know that would be the one thing I would have liked to put back in, but we we left it all as is for that reason, you know. And and Gene, I, you know, I think we get such a better picture from talking to the other people about how fun Gene was. You know, you, you get more of an honest side, you know, rather than asking the person about themselves, um, you know, what, what, what was it like, you know, you know, they were busy doing it, but these other people were also somewhat bystanders to the events of Gene. So you, I think we get a more honest picture and you know what, they all have their own autobiographies and what they say about their own albums and their own books, everyone already has them. So they're not really needed in this work. However, would I have loved to have had all four of them? Yes. Did I go after one in particular? Yes. Did it work out? No. And that's fine. You know, I think it keeps it, you know, perfectly acceptable. Yeah. 
And I think another thing, too, that I really love about this book, too, is, like, you had stuff like these kind of, like, pictures in there, too. Like, these kind of little tidbit pictures in there. I, I've always loved these kinds of things. Like, like I, I don't remember ever seeing that Ace Freely one, right, before. And it's, it's just stuff like that that just goes and makes this book that much more stellar, in my opinion. I mean, you even have, like, stories about the songs themselves, like... You know, like, what don't you have in this book, really, about this this time period? I mean, these records are are fantastic. I mean, the only thing that you don't have on here is, is, a, is an accompanying DVD with clip segments of them in the studio recording. I mean, that's about the only thing that's missing from this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ken. Yeah, I was going to say, you also have the, uh, the information about the contracts. It's very interesting. Yeah. And the story, you know, from Gene and, and Paul and the, over the years have been, uh, yeah, we had to, more O'Coin said, yeah, you guys just go out and record solo albums. This is kind of like, you know, in order to keep the group together from breaking up. But that's all, that's all farce um, because of the contract, you know, is written that they needed to do back in 76, I believe. Yeah, that and that's not to record solo albums, and and so what it, what it was is at the it was this perfect timing, um, really. That yeah, maybe they needed to get away from each other, but they still had that in their contract that they had to do their solo albums anyway. So they they did them, you know. And that was I you know if there's one chapter I I wish I'd spend a little bit more time on and and maybe had better writing skills to deal with. It's the contracts. Because I I wanted to include that because exactly as as you just said that's where the solo albums are defined so early you know nearly two years before their release that they're talking about them so they had a vision that maybe one day the band would be in a position that four characters could carry four albums so it gets defined in the legal you know discussion but it's also tied up with the financial that you know if they did four solo albums only two of them would count as one album towards the contract's requirements so but yet each one of those albums would be um they'd be able to get the same amount of advances and advertising budget so that's why in, in that in that uh chapter i kind of allude to there was a big financial uh kind of you know hit that they could easy money to do four solo oh. albums one thing, one thing I wanted to ask amongst all of you guys, though, here, just really quickly, is first of all, a, what's your favorite solo record? But the other thing that I'm interested about is after you answer that, is after reading this book and reading about that solo album in particular that you liked the best, did you find that reading it helped to have a more appreciation of that record? Do you find like my favorite record is Aces? And I found that after I read all those things, like the Rob Freeman interview and Anton Figs when Eddie Kramer, I mean, I just love this Ace Freely record now all the more knowing all the other little details about the making of it. I mean, I'm just curious to hear about what you guys like and what's your favorite records. Alex. I, um, you know, I was going to share it to you earlier, you know, mentioning back with the um, finding different albums, you know, growing up as a kid, I used to pull my dad's records out. And, uh, he didn't have the, uh, he didn't have Paul's record. I always remember, like, you know, Dad, what's, what's Paul's record, you know? And so finally, I remember going to a used shop and picking it up, and I was all super stoked and everything, and it had the poster in there. So I was finally able to complete the little mural. I was, like, 15 at the time. Um, I think the first one I got on CD was, was Aces, um, just because I wanted, my dad always, you know, mentioned the Ace, loving Aces' solo album. 
Uh, but getting Paul's, I gotta say, I think I think Paul's is probably my favorite. Um, with Ace right behind it, and then Gene and Peters, you know, together. And I guess I've always, I don't know, maybe not being from seventy, you know, not being a Kiss fan in '78 and having this high expectation. Um, you know, I, I knew thing. I guess you know, knowing it was what a solo album is, and hearing the story that it was for them to, you know, the. the press story was for them to go out and do their own thing and stuff so i've never been like weirded by like gene's album or peter's album um i don't listen to them like i know on my phone right now i've got all the tracks on paul and aces on my phone and gene and uh, peter's it's a couple um but no definitely like, the interviews and stuff um i was just looking at it i didn't catch his name but he um somebody asked a question you know is it true, like, did Gene just call you guys by, you know, whatever name, position yeah. you were? Oh, yeah. Hey, bass, drums. Hey, bass. You know, yeah. hey, bass. And the guy was like, no, he, he knew who we were. And if he was to have been like, hey, bass, it was like, you know, a term of endearment of love kind of a thing. You know, it wasn't meant to be, you know, an insult or anything like that. And so, you, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like each album, I feel like if you read the interviews behind the album and stuff, you gain a much deeper respect, you know, I mean, hey, Kiss, Tommy Taylor, you know, if you guys want to do a cool thing, you know, redo, at least redo the, uh, the solo album, especially because I remember uh, Robert V. Conti mentioned Gene's co- uh, cover was kind of blurry on the remastered CD, so they went through and redid them again, you know, hey guys, contact Julian and Tim and ask to use some of these interviews to, to film and tidbits and stuff on the packaging. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I feel, I feel most people would gain a gain a bit more respect for the albums and stuff. You know, I'm not saying that now Peter's album is this great masterpiece by any means. You know, it's but it's you know you understand like okay, that's what it's exactly. came from and stuff like that. So you get why it's that way. You get why Peter's album doesn't sound like Love Gun, or why Gene's album opens up with you know you, you think that the pits of hell are opening and then you finish off with you know a Disney classic and stuff. Yeah, it definitely helped fill in the blank. I mean, especially with Peter and Chris's record, I found that that was the one that I liked the least. But after reading those interviews, I found that I have a much more better appreciation. And when I listen to it now, I kind of grasp it a lot better. So, Ken, what do you think? Yeah, well, I have to go back and tell you the, my experience of buying the albums, I guess, first. Um, you know, I was one year into the band because in 77, I, you know, I bought uh, Alive 2. And then I... They got double platinum after that, and then um, so the solo albums were coming. I was like, I was kind of excited about it. Uh, I was like, oh, you know, we get four. Well, I don't know if I went the first day they came out, but uh, and like we were talking, how much money do we have at that time? I, I don't know. I was seventeen, but uh, I wasn't working or anything. You know, I was just going to school. So um, I remember going to the store, and I had to pick the two. What? I picked two that I wanted to buy out of the four. So I ended up, I picked uh, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. Those are my first two that I bought. And then, you know, at the register, they gave you the bag that, you know, that has the four solo albums on it. You, you get supposed to get a bag. I don't know if you're supposed to buy four to get the bag, but they gave it for just buying two. So yeah. I, I was cool with that. But I, the reason I bought Gene and Paul first, because I, I think my, at the time, I was kind of, leaning towards Gene because I like, you know, calling Dr. Love and, and so on. Um, more so than, than Paul's songs at the time. And uh, so 
that's why I picked those two. They were the ones that sang the most. So I thought, I figured, well, yep. these guys that have the most experience have got to be the better of the two albums, you know, uh, or the four albums, that is. And uh, so I got those, brought them home. And actually, I enjoyed, you know, some people don't enjoy, but I enjoyed Gene Simmons' album. I really do. Um, I like all the different, you know, the Beatlesque stuff. Um, and I was listening to all kinds of different music anyway. And so I didn't have a problem. I know it's disjointed and, you know, going from hard rock to <laughs> when you wish upon a star, or, you know, it's just, uh, but I, I enjoyed it. It was, I thought it was actually well done, well produced, if anything. Um, and then Paul Stanley's, of course, sounded most like Kiss than anything else. So, um, you know, I actually was listening to probably Gene Simmons more than Paul Stanley at the beginning. So then about a week or two later, I went back and, you know, bought the remaining two, Ace and Peter. And uh, Peter's, you know, and I got the bag again, so I have two bags. I know I have them. I still have them. <laughs> I still have those two bags. So uh, so later on, uh, you know, I listened to those next. And, you know, Peter's, I, I like to a certain degree. I like certain songs off of those stuck out. But most of it is like, you know, I, I was maybe starting to lean towards a little bit more rocking, you know, songs anyway. But And then Ace, Ace Frehley. That was just a, you know, just blew me away. It was such a surprise, you know. It's like, it's like, you know, where is this coming from? Um, it was just amazing uh, that I couldn't believe all these songs that he was putting out. It's like, where has he been on all the past albums? Uh, why isn't he more, you know, maybe featured with a few more songs? Which, but you know, going into the future, uh, or you know, time after the, these solo albums, of course, they started, you know, giving them more. But, so basically, the favorite albums, uh, Mark, is really for me is I, I kind of Ace, Paul, and Gene. I I feel the same about all. I, I enjoy each one of them in their own way. And then with Peter's a little bit slightly below that. If I enjoy it, but not so not as much. Um, the other thing about it, what's described in the book about Gene Simmons' album is initially they weren't going to name it just. Gene Simmons' kisses. It was going to be Man of a Thousand Faces, which really, that title for that album would have fit better because he's going all, he's, he's all he over is the showing map. the different faces yep. of him. Yeah, on that. Exactly. It makes more sense. It just makes more sense. Oh yeah, I understand it now. You know? But, yeah. you know, for the most part, I, I like, you know, I enjoy them all still. So becoming oh, a fan yeah. in the late 80s, you know, late 85, you know, I couldn't find um, Ace and Peters, so the first two I got were Paul and Gene. And I don't remember which one I listened to first. I think it was probably Paul because Tonight You Belong to Me still resonates in my mind every single time as an opening track, more so than Radioactive's, you know, uh, Ron Frangipani um, created intro. Um, and Paul's remains my favorite album, probably because of that, you know. It's just, it's it's more straightforward, with the exception of Hold Me, Touch Me, which I cannot stand as a song in any in any form. I just, I despise that song. Um, I like his rock. I've, I've always felt that song was so out of place on the album. You know, there, there, there's a reason why some artists should do non-album singles, and that's, that's a great example of a well, non-album one. Just to, since you're talking about that song real quick, the one thing in the book also about that book, there was a re they show the reviews in there, right? About you have uh, oh yeah, whole sections time. of that. Yeah, the one person 
This one person didn't like any of Paul's music on his album. The only song they liked was Hold Me, Touch Me. Gotcha. And then they sang, this is a song that should have been kept, actually sung by someone else, like Joey Travolta. <laughs> oh, God. I was like, what the heck? So uh, that, I, I found that so funny. Which, of course, is and that's also an interesting thing that Joey Travolta had just released a album on uh, Millennium, I think it was Millennium, distributed by Casablanca around that time, which just happens to have a cover of You Matter to Me. Yeah. On it. So at, at the same time, the six degrees of separation. Yeah, so you can go you can go onto uh, onto uh, what is it YouTube, and it's it's got the original version uh, because for Peter's version they rewrote some of the stuff for him to get you know his lucky number into it and and all that. But you know Paul's album for me it, because he's the face of Kiss, the voice of Kiss, more so than Gene. His music was straightforward. And because I hadn't heard Ace Frehley's album at that point, it's just stuck in my mind as, as a favorite. Gene's is just too much over the place. His Beatles stuff is fantastic. I love that. Um, See You Tonight is one of the greatest songs he's written, and it's just executed perfectly. Man of a Thousand Faces is fantastic. Radioactive is great. Burning Up a Fever is a Kiss song. So, you know, can't go wrong with that. Um Later on, I traded someone and I got Peter's tape. And in 1987, when I'm listening to Metallica and Judas Priest, Peter Chris's album didn't resonate with me in any way. Um, and I threw the tape out. It was just a, a pile of crap as far as I was concerned then. Over the years, as my musical taste had developed, I'm, I appreciate the album more. And also understanding Peter, you know, from all the interviews over the years that have been done with him... Uh, that you get to know where he's coming from with that material. It's grown on me. I, I really do like the lip stuff re, redone. That's the kind of Sugar Papa likes I love. Um, you Matter to Me, I do like his version on that. I mean, it's a, is it as good as Paul's album? No, because I'm more into rock music than I am into lighter, you know, or AOR type, type stuff. Ace's album, when I finally got that, blew me away. I was like, is this the same Ace Frehley? You know, because... For the several albums before that, he'd barely had a track on them. You know, there's nothing on Rock and Roll Over. He's got very little on Destroyer. Um, Shock Me and Rocket Ride obviously come in 77, but, you know, that that's a great album. But So it's between Paul and Ace, with Paul winning for me. You know, one other thing I was going to ask you, Julian, to maybe address a bit too, and I think I guess maybe all of us can chime in on this too, is that... Um, what I found fascinating was the discussion about the sales of the records themselves. Now, I remember throughout the years, I've read so many different things where people were claiming that, that guaranteed Aces is the best-selling one, and now people are saying that Jeans is, and I think in the book here it says that Jeans one is the best-selling one in terms of sales. And then like there's like this little part here saying that, uh, that Paul's record was the least amount of time on the charts, that even Peter Chris's was on the charts longer by maybe yep. a week or so. What I'm curious about is, as far as the numbers went, what like what did you guys use to confirm these statistics as far as, like, you know, the Gene's record being the best-selling ones? I keep hearing from everybody, and, like, even... I could have sworn I even heard Eddie Kramer once mention that he was confirmed, like, confident that Aces was the best-selling one. Like, where did the numbers come from? Um, I have an internal Casablanca audit from June 1979 that lists the shipment figures. I would love to have the the returns one as well, I guess. Um, 
to June 1979. So that's just shipments, and it breaks down Casablanca's own shipping as and then Polygram's. So at post-77, when Polygram starts pressing vinyl and it starts shifting from Casablanca's independent, so that's where those numbers come from. And, of course, Paul Stanley's 1.3 million, and that's 1.3 with 00, zero after it. So Jeans is 1.391. Yeah. Aces is 1.387, and Peter's... 1.317. So that, that's the that's the order. That's where those numbers come from. I mean, obviously the rest of the albums are also interesting, but we don't want to put all that in there. Then you go you go forward to stuff that we've had up on the website before, and, and again it comes back to Tim. And we did the sound scan um, update several years ago. I think that was uh, March 2012, where we did an interview with I can't remember the chap's name off the top of my head. Uh, so we get again the the uh, the totals of the solo albums sold in this in the sound scan era and it's only then that you know kind of Paul and Gene are cemented you know as higher up than Peter um, but Ace blows both of them away by that time so that's where those come from you know and, and uh, these these documents don't circulate um, you know there's another good one from December 77 but that's another that's another book so exactly <clears throat> Uh, Mark, we didn't get to your list. Yeah, we did. Didn't we start out with you? Yeah. Oh, did we? Okay. All right, so, so let's... Uh, I, I want to know what's your... I thought your... we started with me, so I was like... No, well, I was... as I mentioned, that Aces, Aces was my favorite one okay. at the beginning. So I want to ask each of you favorite interview. Oh, well, for me, hands down, Rob, the Rob Freeman. I mean, like I said before, I, I'm right now I'm working on a record right now of my own. And I'm so in that zone now with, you know, like audio equipment and microphones and this and that, and like the whole, you know, layout of the land for recording stuff and, you know, picking out different guitars for things. And I mean, just his interview just so resonated with me, you know, that's not to say that in about a few weeks from now, once I get done doing the recording, that maybe Larry Harris's might be something that I'm more into when I start thinking about, you know, releasing my record and stuff like that, you know, finding all those little interesting stories about, you know, how they promoted the records and what they did to get it out there and all kinds of theories and stuff like that. But right now, honestly, I got to say Rob Freeman's is my favorite interview right now. Okay. I'm going to tell you mine before I ask anyone else. And that's Jeff Glixman. Um, you know, there, there are several in there that easily, uh, take the cake, but getting a full interview. And, and this is one of the reasons, you know, this book exists is the Jeff Glixman interview. Here's the first full sit down interview with Jeff rather than, you know, quotes from a, a larger interview that I can recall there ever being, you know, so that, that was really kind of a unique thing from the original 2013 feature. Uh, you know, and, and, Tim managing to get Jeff, and just how open Jeff was about talking about his challenges working with Paul, but also how respectful he just re remained throughout. And he kept saying, you know, this isn't to bash Paul. It's just that we weren't on the same wavelength, that we had different expectations of what I was being brought in to do versus what Paul wanted you to do. So how he explains himself in the situation and the clarity again, you know, and, and clarity is a word that I have used several times today, um, of expressing himself. It's just, you know, you, you get such a good picture of Paul's album and how it really is an album of two halves. Um, you know, so, so you understand it better. And you also come out 
understanding Jeff much better and his and his, and his uh, you know his experience and, and why it hasn't been you know such a like a positive I guess even though he makes it sound so positive. Alex, um, I don't know how you say his last name, but Dennis Woolock, 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 artist, um, designer. Yeah, <laughs> I love this interview. Um, I think Paul goes with because he got to work with Erwaldo uh, Cavagatti. Mm-hmm. How does he pronounce it? Because sadly, you know, he's he's since passed away. Um, so there's really not much, you know being able to interview the artist himself, but obviously Dennis with his input on in the packaging of the album and stuff. I love, I think one of my funny tidbits I loved was, I think he asked, like, you know, what was the uh, the font used for the, uh, the the covers and stuff? And he mentioned, like, yeah, I, had, I never thought at all about it, but, like, a few years ago, somebody was doing some kind of, like, album, tribute album, and asked me, and I had to, like, think about it and stuff, and that one kind of gave me a little bit of a laugh, but I love the, um, just kind of the tidbits you have with how the product came to be, and and so forth, with, um, the design of the album covers, um, the fact that they were done on canvas, and he, you know, goes into the, little bit of the process of how it was, you know, taken, and, and made into the, uh, onto the image and stuff to be made into the record cover. Yeah, so we don't only learn about, you know, how the albums are created by the musicians. Uh, Dennis is, is great because here, here you are talking about the, he unveils the artwork, you know, and, and how it was commissioned. But here it is, but something's missing. So he, he brings out his little palette right in the office there to, yeah. to do the, uh, blood. the blood drip on jeans. And then how, it, how they take the picture and they turn it into an album cover. I'm, I'm fascinated by that sort of stuff. To some, I'm sure that will bore them to death, and I, I understand that. You know, when, when you're going this deep into something, that there, there's going to be some of the detail um, that is just irrelevant. And, and one of the criticisms on some of the reviews has been that I don't care about what these people are doing. It has to all be about Kiss, or else it's irrelevant. Now, to me, we have to understand these people and what they've done in the industry and their stature. What are they musically? Where are they at now? You know, what what has this meant to their careers, if anything? Um, so that's why there's a lot of that supporting stuff about these guys, what they were doing at the time. You know, because how how can you put them in a book without setting the stage for them entering the story? It's like, why were they even asked to be on the album if you don't know what they were doing? Like Richie Rano and Stars and that connection. But a lot of the guys talking about their, their backgrounds and... You know, I'd like to know what they're doing now. You know, what happened to because it's with that, with that process too of, of taking an image you've painted on canvas and making it, you know, into a, be an image to print and so forth. You know, I mean, I don't know fully what technology was in 1978, but it's not like today. You know, we weren't walking around at the time in 78 with cell phones and stuff, being able to <laughs> take an image on here, add a filter from Instagram, and boom, you've got an image, and you can email it to somebody, and they could blow it up if it's in high quality and print it out, and you've got yourself an album cover and stuff. You know, here is somebody taking an actual image painted with paint on canvas, and, and being able to do that. And so, you know, for anybody who's not into that, you know, kind of, you know, details, I mean, cool, if you were around in 78 and you know how it works, awesome. But, if, you know, someone like myself, born in 89, you know, and, and growing up in this kind of huge technological age that we're in at this moment, it's fascinating to hear how some of those stuff, you know, came to be and how it took place at the time. Oh, you're a hot in the shade, baby. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, 
you, when you think about that, though, what you just brought up is a good point, though, because, I mean, you got to look at it this way. This is like a j big jigsaw puzzle. Without these people, you're not going to get a full picture, right? I mean, a lot of these people, their input and what they did it directly, you know, affected the outcome of the records, you know? I mean, without these people playing on it or these people with their artistic input, I mean, they it wouldn't be the same records. I mean, sure, everybody just wants to, you know, mainly want to hear from the artists themselves, but for me personally, I think a lot of the more interesting stories were not the artists themselves. It was what they did to make the records and what they did to make the records so great. That, I think, is more important to me, at least. And there's even I mean, Wicked Lester in there. I mean, God, guys who knew Gene and Paul when they're in Wicked Lester, then working on their solo solo albums in '70. I mean, that to me is nuts. And I think Mitch Weisman actually went to a Wicked Lester show, though we didn't we didn't talk about that in his interview. <laughs> Alex, what was that You know, back to at least the image. You know, we've seen the Kiss Alone covers on multiple multiple products and stuff. Um, you know, looking just right behind Ken right now, you've got four picture discs. Are they signed up by the chance, uh, by the way, too, or are they just a picture disc? You know, they're just a picture disc that I bought back at, at the time, or probably the next year, maybe 79. Um, I bought all four of those, and they're they're framed with yeah, the same kind of color behind them, like a, a felt. They look, mag they look magnificent, you know, but, you know, as much as the... Um, the music itself is fascinating, and, and we love the songs. It's great, like like Mark said with the jigsaw puzzle, it's great hearing what went into the production of it, you know, what led to the designing of the covers. I remember when you guys were throwing up the interviews on the KISS FAQ, and I apologize if you hear a screaming baby, that's my niece, she, she does a fit sometimes. Well, she does, she does what babies do. Yeah. But, um, yeah, she, she just heard uh, Peter Chris's album. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, <laughs> bada bang. No, just kidding. Um, but I remember when you guys did the interviews, you guys got to show some of the images um, and the unused designs. Um, oh, yeah, David Ed Edward Bird and his original designs for them. Uh, those those were nuts, and I couldn't include those in the book, unfortunately, for rights issues. But, um, yeah. But, you know, there's just, it's... You know, it's just, I don't know, for someone who loves music and loves the story behind stuff and is a history buff, it's just fun just kind of getting all the all the info and, and seeing how it came to be because, you know, you take a finished product and you go like, all right, cool, but yet yeah, there's so many hours and probably sleepless nights and stuff that goes into making something that's, you know, you look at the Kiss solo albums, maybe two hours total of music. Yeah, and, and, and you just mentioning the, the design, I mean, David... Um again, is a great interview because here's a guy who had designed the original Bogart blue label, the the, the, the smoking man center ring uh, from the early uh, Casablanca issues. So he'd been connected with Neil Bogart and Casablanca going back to the label's you know, creation, and then he comes in to do the, po the uh, poster collages or collage posters or whatever you want to call them, the poster segments for each of the albums, and how, how they created those are really cool. I mean, that's a great story, plus all the other things he he, he says in his interview. And he, he said he was, like, sick, too, right? He wasn't feeling good. They had to do it, like, in a time crunch as well. Yeah, under pressure, time crunch, and, you know, something so visually striking. And well-spotted on Ken's uh, 
picture disc back there because I hadn't noticed. I put those up there today just for this. I I, I must be very very blonde today because I did not notice a thing. <laughs> and and you're in the middle of my screen. So, Ken, favorite interview. You know, I have I can't say really favorite. Uh, there's so many good interviews in this book. Uh, little tidbits that come out in each interview. I mean, we talked about the Freeman one, you know, uh, Chris Lint, uh, you know, Eddie Kramer, um, so on. Um, the Jap, Michael Jap, you know, uh, Mitch Weisman, uh, and so on. They all have something interesting uh, that you probably haven't, you don't know um, um, in the KISS world, you know, as it is, uh, or have heard about. And uh, it's, I can't, I can't name one interview again it's the whole interview collection as a whole is just fantastic um getting different sides of things i mean there's some guys that remember i I can't believe some of these guys can remember so much from that long ago um in detail but there's a few that say they can't remember because you know they were partying (laughs) at the time um but uh for the most part, yeah, there's, there's still great, interesting stories how these people were even contacted to help on the solo album um, through what acquaintance or through working with this guy. I was working with this guy. He said, hey, uh, give this guy a call and see if you can work on your album. Or, you know, like in Gene's case, he, he had a set list of people he just wanted to. Yeah, he must, he must have had the Rolodex from hell. Here, oh, ca- yeah, call I these people, you know, all of them, the Beatles. Yeah, we'll just get the Beatles for you. The Beatles online too, Gene. Right, right. Well, the thing is, I guess they said uh, the Beatles said uh, it was a uh, scheduling thing, right? Yeah, that's the that's the polite way of saying no. no. They didn't say no specifically, and that's all semantics. There was someone who who said Ringo. They didn't say no. Well, Ringo said no, but uh, the others didn't. So, um, yeah. But Lassie, and I, again, I would have loved to oh, put the picture because uh, I can't remember who it was either who went up to the hills and met Lassie and recorded her bark and has pictures of it. Those are up on the original feature, and again, I couldn't include those in the book. But, uh, you know, that, I mean, come on, Lassie. I mean, didn't use it, I guess, or maybe. So there's an outtake for Gene's deluxe Eric edition. Troyer. Eric Troyer was the one. Nice. Good, good memory, Mark. Yeah, so there's an outtake for his deluxe edition. You can just have Lassie's bark at the end. That's that's what I want, you know. Screw any other demos. I want Lassie's bark. And you just know someone is hoarding that bark. (laughs) (laughs) Those damn hoarders. Share it with us. Go on. No, you were going to say something. I was just going to say, the only thing that I was thinking about and I thought about long and hard after I was reading this book was... This is a what if, of course. We can't really answer this clearly, but it'd be interesting to see what you guys thought about this. Is If they would have decided after these records came out to give each guy two months to go out and do a quick solo tour run of their records, like do just a little small tour of their to support their solo records, I'm just wondering how the reaction would have been like attendance-wise. Do you think it would have being similar to the sales of the record? Do you think that there would have been more people for an Ace show than maybe a Peter Chris show at that time? Or do you think it would have been just the same for each person? Or what do you think? Like, gut feeling? How would they have done a production? <laughs> it just comes to my mind, you know, because they wouldn't want to 
go out there without the makeup on. I yeah. can't imagine. Well, I mean, I they would go out, obviously, but who would have the other guys? I don't know how that was. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know look good, you know, you know, seeing the like, Ace Frehley and his, you know, Love Gun outfit up on stage. Assuming that's what he would wear would be a Love Gun outfit, you know, by himself on stage with, you know, a band behind him and, you know, all black pants and a black t-shirt, you know, I'm just kind of creating something in my mind right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or, like the, or like the pictures of how he looked in 78. I mean, when he went out to do a lot of his radio stuff, he had the black leather jacket on, you yeah. know, and still the makeup. How, how, you know, I think it would have been, if it was wrapped up in the period of hype through December 79, before all the returns started happening, before the the the, stock, the stores looked all overstocked with Kiss shit, you know, it probably would have gone down well. If you look at some of the appearances Gene and Paul did, they were mobbed. Three or 4,000 people showing up to stores for the in-stores. Um, and that's one thing that bothers me. I've never been able to figure out if Peter did any appearance for his album anywhere. I've not been able to find any reference to anything. Uh, any of the people I've spoken with have no recollection of him doing a single thing to support his album. So that's, that's one thing, but I, I think they would have been well attended all four of them, but you know, probably, you know, if jeans had 5,000 people coming to a show for his, you know, Ace would have had 6,000 for his, you know, Peter 3,000. And I'd even be curious, you know, just go with that idea, and there might be a good FAQ discussion. You know, what kind of set list would they would have done? I mean, I've looked at, I've seen Ace twice, and I got to see Paul in 2006. So, of course, they performed, you know, uh, Paul did four of his songs off his solo album, which, of course, were excellent. Uh, the only song I wish Paul would have done on his solo tour was Love and Chains. I think that's a, that's a killer track, which uh, deserves to be played live. I mean, of course, Ace doing Rip It Out, uh, Snow Blind. Uh, a little bit of speed back to my baby and New York Groove. But I wonder, like, what, what songs would Gene would have done, you know, with having such a diverse, you know, I mean, he's done radioactive and he does, you know, does See You Tonight acoustically when he did, like, the Kiss Cruise and Kiss Unplugged. But, you know, what other songs could Gene have done? He would have done the they, rock songs, probably, because if he was going out with a band, it would be a band set up for one sort of thing, you know. He may finish up with an acoustic. You know, I, I, I wouldn't have seen him doing you know, too much of the weird stuff, like, you know, what is it, Nowhere to Run, Always Near You, Nowhere to Run, whatever that, the hybrid song is, um, or Living in, oh, God, <laughs> Tun Tunnel of Love, yes, right. one of my, another, that's least favorites. Another, another thing about the interviews is, I, I noticed, is that they, most people said they didn't think it was a bad idea, nobody really thought it was a bad idea to do these solo albums, that it was pretty, you know, impressive and they were on they were on the top at the time they did it so why not the only thing that they should you know the comp the uh the company casablanca they should they bit off more than they could chew by you know over shipping uh, or printing these things they should have probably it would have been a, a, a big success if had they uh just you know produced five hundred thousand maybe of each album right so it's shipping a couple million right so that way, I think you wouldn't have had all those returns, and and it would have said, "Oh man, see what we did? We, you know, we sold out everything." And so I, I, I don't know. It, it was a it was a great success. I mean, at the time, even though they got shipments back, um, but it would have been more if they, you know, they weren't going to make their money back on five hundred thousand shipped with the advances 
and the advertising oh, that's, budget. That's true. They you spend know, a lot of money. You know, Neil Bogart doubled down. Uh, is my opinion is that he was just in over his head. Clive Davis, I mean, I, I say that in, in part of the book, told him scale back, do not ship 1.2 million of each, go 750,000. And Neil Bogart's like, no, I'm going to do 1.4 million of each. You know, it, it, it's just, it's, it's the insanity that is Casablanca records. And, you know, Larry Harris and CK Lent in the book, you know, give you a great picture of the insanity of it all. Um, and also going platinum, the book Mark held up at the beginning of the show is a great one um, for for talking about the era. But let's also talk about what's missing. What do you think is missing from the book? Because I know there are some things that I couldn't get in there for one reason or another. What what if I do a second printing? Would you really love to see in there? The DVD and audio CD. <laughs> um, I would love for Vinnie Poncia to return calls. Um, Obviously, he, I, I believe he's the one producer. We didn't, obviously, Sean's gone, but uh, um, Vinny, I could not get. I've been trying for years for Vinny. Vinny, if you happen to see this or someone who knows Vinny sees his Vinny, that's one I'd put up on the, web, on, the, on the web and include in a second burning for sure. Would love to get Vinny. And I'd like a bit more of uh, Peter's album covered anyway. I mean, honestly, the more I think about it, I'm, this is... Boom, technical issues hit us. Sorry? Mark, you just completely froze out at the start of your what you were saying. Oh, okay, sorry. I was going to say that the, as far as I'm concerned, this is the one thing that I have a hard time thinking of because I'm so satisfied with this book, I can't really think of anything that's really missing. I mean, the only thing that I would have maybe wanted a little bit more of is just a little bit more of these obscure little pictures. Like, you had those, like, pictures of, like, the reel-to-reel things with the songs on there, like the one with Peter's with his demos there. Just little things like that I really love seeing as well, like, or track sheets for the studio, like, with, oh, you know, just track sheets. little things. Yeah. I, I love those kinds of things. I don't know if they're hard to find or what it is, but, you know, but I just, those, it's just, I guess maybe just a little bit pictures, because, like, I mean, there's a lot of text in here that's very satisfying to read. I mean, if anything, maybe just a few more pictures. That's the only thing I can think of, because otherwise I'm completely happy with this book. Yeah, maybe, uh, you know, I agree with him, uh, but maybe more of the, even the pictures of the merchandise related to um, the, what, you know, the solo albums, you know. Um, I know you have the, you know, the best of the solo albums and, and some other things, but some of the other, the merchandise that they released at that time. Yeah, I wish I still, I, I actually, most of my stuff was left in Scotland when I moved out here, and I, I used to have those three-inch pins, the, the round the round ones with the silhouette faces, but I, you know... I never had one of the bags, and most of those pictures are stuff yeah. that's from my collection. I'm anyway, I can take a picture of my bag for you. <laughs> you can, actually, you can you can, you, you can still get those on eBay. So, yeah. you know, just like so the you just like the solo albums, those were overproduced, and I think. Uh, some, you know, they should have included the bag with the Kisteria box set as a thing when they made that Kisteria box set. Yeah, the cost of the bags. I'm just I was thinking about that too. Is the you know they overshipped, of course, the album, but they probably overshipped the bags and there were probably some cost? yeah there were probably some stores throwing out whole boxes of those bags because they didn't sell. Imagine. They probably used those bags to put people's other stuff. Like well, we're gonna have to worry about buying bags for the next six months. So yeah, sure, sure. Just bag they sent us. Yeah, sorry, sure. I know, sorry, I know you're getting Alabama today, but it's going in a kiss bag. Deal with it. Right. <laughs> Captain and Tennille, here's your kiss exactly. bag. 
also another thing that's interesting too is wasn't there also in some of the European versions of the release of this, wasn't there a colored vinyl version of some of this stuff? Like maybe the best of or something? Wasn't there a colored vinyl of this? There were colored vinyl uh, El Salvador, I believe. It's either Ecuador, it begins with an E. So El Salvador, El Salvador. Ecuador um, released each of the solo albums in the the color and the Paul Stanley one is absolutely st- actually all of them are stunning color and it's in, it's in the book so I, while I can't remind remember off the top of my head right now yes there was colored vinyl for each just in one country um, I mean some of the the inner dust leaves vary Germany I think it was uh, the Belafonte issue had on the dust leaf the the constructed poster segments put together and like a picture a little bit of advertising. You know, so there's some cool stuff out there. And Best of the Solo Albums, I, I think I do a whole chapter on there. Um, it's just fun to collect anyway because it's just got so many different versions with so many different track listings. And some of them, some of the versions, no one's ever going to find. The two African ones, South Africa and Zimbabwe, are just nuts to find. I've never had those in my collection as, yeah, as much as I would like to have. Something that's huh. looked like it's been put together with sellotape and uh, razor blades. I guess I've got a question because you've got a picture of it in the book of the sound mixers tape, the one which is like all for nothing. But the I'm in need of love demo mm-hmm. does, does it sound much different from the the finished product? Or did you get to hear it? Or yeah, that was my reel. Okay, so, so does, it, does it sound much different from the finished product? That you know, would you say Ace? Obviously, just from that demo, I guess you can't gauge the other Ace really tracks per se, but. Was there much change from the demo to the finished, or do you think he was kind of like Paul, where it was pretty much like he goes in with it and just kind of fine fine tunes it? It's t- it's tightened up on the on the final version. I mean, that's just an instrumental, so there's no vocals. Um, so, you know, but that reels a, a good example of you know all for nothing, which is the one outtake from um, Ace's album. You know, really clashes stylistically with the rest of the material on the album. So, you know. It's it's clear why it wasn't included, even when you can figure out that the crap version that people can hear him kind of rehearsing vocals for, um, it does doesn't doesn't make sense to have that on there. Yeah. So there's obviously that's a clip of it on, on YouTube, and I don't know, it sounds like it's got a little like King of the Nighttime feel in the sound of it. Yeah, it's, it's just unrealized. I, I find it bland. It's just an idea. I mean, if I pick up my guitar right now and start riffing, you know, it might be something I'd record in five minutes. Uh, it's just ideas. So, so in, in that same kind of idea, how um, Alex just said, this picture here, I don't know, I'll just hold it up here really quickly. Um, uh, that, there, yeah. Is that, is that also a reel of yours too? That was a reel of mine. I, I got rid of these last year uh, or the year before. So yeah, that, that was Peter's December 78 demo um, since that fits in in the solo era. I just put the picture in of that because obviously he was still working with Vinny and that was the stuff he took to Kiss for the Dynasty album, so of what became. So were these songs ever you think in play for the solo records or no? No, this is after the this is after the solo period, but it's what he was recording in December of that year, you know, while the solo albums were out. He was starting to work on ideas for Dynasty, even though, you know, nothing would really get used other than what was it, Dirty Living on there is the only one. Yeah. So I guess real quick, I want to throw another to the, um, there's a guy on the FAQ Brothers did a cover, correct? Yeah, Nils Brexvenson, Norwegian, dude. And then, 
And then all the images that are there, because they're not seen as pictures, are those from like where it's believed they probably got the idea for the poses for the solo album covers? The, everything on that cover he created himself, but it's all okay. in, it's all inspired by obviously the '78 um, posters. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he knocked it out of the park with that uh, with the the cover because you know front and back he did he just did a, a beautiful job on the packaging and he, he was an absolute joy to work with on it because you know what if you've seen some of my other books I have shit covers usually <laughs> you know when when Christopher Franchi did. The album focus ones, those are fantastic. Um, but usually I have to take photographs at concerts and use those. So Another, another thing that I'm kind of curious about is this here. See those... Uh, the four cassettes. cassettes, yeah. How hard are they? Cause I'm, I'm always trying to find stuff to add to my collection, but how hard do you think it is to find those on cassette? Easy. Yeah. Oh, easy. You go on eBay right now. You'll find at least one of them. You go. You go on eBay for a month. You'll find all of them. I mean, I've got dozens of those freaking oh, solo yeah. albums, cassettes. I've never actually ever looked for them, so I'm just kind of curious, just because I've, really? I've never made any effort to look for a cassette. But yeah. You know. Look at this, right on, right above my desk. There's a. Oh, nice. That's except that one's for the garbage pile because that's a Columbia House one, and I hate Columbia House cassettes, even though it's even though it's the rare black variation. So wow. that's how geeky I get with Kiss cassettes. It's on black media with silver writing. So. Was there anything else that you would have wanted to add now in retrospect to this book? You know, there's just the just the interviews that I feel are missing. I I tried to get uh, Ron Frangiapane or Payne, whatever, however you say his name. Um, no response there. I mean, it would have been great just to talk about the creation of the audio stuff on. Um, on Gene's album, I wouldn't mind getting the classical guitarist. Um, you know, th- th- there are still a lot of people. So if I ever do a second printing and am ever able to get these after they've been up on the web, you know, the book can be expanded and and have those added in. Um, I would have liked to have had at least one Kiss member in the book, just because it would have been kind of nice to have at least one of them. Uh, who didn't cover the book in as much detail as I felt they could have in their own autobiography. Um, and, and and when you live with the book for a year or more, I mean, I've been working on getting this ready for publication for the last 10 months, basically. Um, it, I'm too close to it still to think about what's missing. I, I'm more concerned with what, what, what we got right, what, you know, maybe still needs to be fixed on the digital versions. But I guess... Obviously, Tim doesn't. I don't, I don't see him post much on the FAQ board. But what has been his takes on the book uh, with him coming together? I mean, obviously, he did a lot of the work and stuff. I, I can imagine he's proud of it. But what's been his his views with it? Um, I, I loves the art. I know that much. Um, you know, he's busy these days. Very busy. There's a reason why he doesn't post on the yeah. on the board, and it's because he's so busy with something called real life. Um, you know, I, I think the book comes together well enough. Obviously, his name isn't on the cover where it should be, and that's because he didn't have the time to be able to really dig into the final work on the book to get it published, you know, and and we can't have his name on if if he doesn't feel, you know, that he's been able to participate in that part of the process as much as he would have liked. So that's why if, you know, there's any issues inside the book it's all down to me and my editing work on what he did originally but i think tim's contributions to the book shouldn't 
be underestimated because his name's not necessarily on the front. Um, all these interviews speak to just the incredible contribution he made to the KISS FAQ and KISS community during the time that he was involved. I mean, it's absolutely insane that he took on all these interviews himself. He transcribed all these interviews himself. And if you've ever transcribed an interview you've recorded, it is fucking torture. It is tedious. It is painful. It is not fun in any way. Um, so when I did the Richie Rano interview, I sent that out to be transcribed for me, which made for a very interesting experience of having to retranscribe it after I'd paid someone else to transcribe it. Uh, so, you know... When I'm, and I remember the postings on uh, the FAQ. It was 2013, September, and it was like best like solo album month, and it was every day there was an interview being posted or some interesting fact, and it was... It was such a cool feature uh, on the FAQ, so at least for myself, you know, having read the interviews, and then, of course, you know, they were obviously taken off, off the web, and then they finally, you know, to get it, you know, published as an easy, you know... Yeah, it, it's like, you know, I think we overloaded people back when we did the, the feature, because there would be the usual sort of bickering on the board about this and that, and the posts about the latest interview were kind of ignored. There weren't discussions. I, I, I took particular offense when we put the Jeff Glixman one up, and here is the first major, you know, sit-down interview with Jeff, the producer of Paul Stanley's solo album, and nary a comment did it gather. It just seemed to fall under the radar while people continued going on with the usual, Tommy Thayer sucks, you know. So it, at, at that point, you know, when we finished, I was always going to have a couple of copies bound up and, you know, for him and me, you know, here's our, it's just a bound up version of it. And then I'm like, shit, this is a book. You know, what if the FAQ website doesn't exist anymore? We still want this material to exist out there. Um, and, and that's, and that's why it exists because, yeah. you know, I, I think it is too damn good. And Tim's work is just too damn good not to exist in a printed form for everyone to be able to read on the toilet. I mean, honestly, I, 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 every, every day I was on that when it came out. I mean, I, similar to Alex, I mean, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed that month. I mean, I remember every day going on there and trying to see what was the next thing up there. And, you know, they even had, if I remember correctly, there were even like little pictures. I think there was a nice picture of uh, the drummer there, Richie. Was it the drummer Richie, Richie Rano, I think it was? Who was a? There was a picture of him and he was like hitting his song symbol there in the studio. I was like, there's some really great pictures there too. It was, I just loved it. The whole thing was great. I mean, I'm really glad that it came out in this book now too, right? Because, uh, you know, luckily I kind of copied and printed them for myself before they got disappeared off at the website. So I had them just for myself to kind of read. But having the book is a much better way of you know, remembering that time. So I'm very happy about that. Well, good. Yeah. You know. It's right there at your fingertips. And I was, I remember reading them on the board too. Uh, it was very, you know, something actually interesting to read, except, you know, instead of some of the crazy posts that some people put on there. Oh, um, Jesus. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, you know, if you don't have it, you gotta get it. I mean, this is yeah. just great. If you, again, if you like kiss, you're going to like this thing. And I can't wait for the your next project, uh, whatever that may be. Uh, you know, 26, uh, six, 2016. 
2016. So I'm looking forward to your next project. Uh, you know, I'd like to this done on every uh, you know album. I don't know if you could do it on every album, but some of the albums maybe. You not, know, I, I think you know, as material, as someone know. who's worked on it now, you know, nothing to lose. Ken Sharp's book is an absolutely fantastic one for the first three, four albums. So that goes through a live, if I'm if I'm correct. That's does that go through a live? Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah, fact check me, Mark, please, because I'm screwing up here. Uh, yeah, so I think it, it ends right around there. Yeah. So then you get James's new book on Destroyer, you mm -hmm. know, and this one covers '78. You know, that leaves a nice gap for you know maybe the Super Kiss period, which is you know Rock and Roll Over, Love Gun, Love Gun. Alive too. You know, that would that I would actually take up as a project. Yeah, that'd be yeah, great. That's them getting their gold albums for Alive. So that's really at the end of the book there. So. Right. So, you know, basically what we're building up is a library of really detailed, you know, books on Kiss's albums. I mean, I'm, I, I guarantee you I'm not going to be the one who writes the uh, Crazy Nights book. <laughs> so that, that could be Mike Granville. He likes Crazy Nights. So. Does that's he? Right. Okay, he can he, he can have that one. I'm I wouldn't even write a book on Asylum. You know that that whole after the originals period, I've got zero interest in doing. You know books on you know that go into this sort of detail. But uh, that's for Bruce. Bruce needs to get his autobiography. Bruce, yeah, Bruce would be the man to write about Animalize through Revenge because yes. he's on all of those albums. He's on all of those tours. And if he kind of did an autobiography come interviewing the other people who worked on the albums um, from, a, from a technical perspective, because he speaks music. And, you know, as I found with the Saviano interview where Tim speaks music and I can have that conversation to save my life about C-sharp sevens and majors and minors and progressions, you know, Tim speaks it. And that's what brought that interview to life. But Bruce could do that for the, the whole unmasked era through, through uh, Revenge and Carnival Souls. You know, in, uh, Bruce interviewing Eric Singer well, about his drumming, you know, that would be fantastic. So, Bruce, if you happen to hear... There's an idea for your book because, you know, do a kiss one, crazy and nights. I'll buy it. So yeah, one copy sold already at least. Bruce Kulick, crazy nights, 1984 to 96. Okay, let's wrap this up, gentlemen. Thank you for your kind words about the book. I'm sure Tim appreciates anything nice said about the book, and anything not nice said about the book is all my fault. Um, that's how it goes. I'm the editor. So I do appreciate you all taking the time to talk about it. And if you haven't bought the book, you know, check out some of the sample chapters on kiss78soloalbums.com. You know, that'll give you a good idea of what's there. I've updated it today with the correct pictures of the book, uh, which I hadn't noticed weren't right. Um, so let's call that a show. Uh, no Lonnie here to, to, uh, to close the show today. So I will just say thank you all. Check us out on the Kiss FAQ message board and come on over to Facebook. Uh, Kiss FAQ podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thank you very much, guys. Take care. See ya. The new unofficial and unsanctioned Kiss book, Gene, Ace, Peter, and Paul, celebrates the legendary 1978 Kiss solo albums. Released simultaneously, Kiss became the first major rock band to attempt such a major endeavor. The book features interviews with more than 30 musicians, engineers, producers, 
arrangers, those most intimately involved in the creation of the solo albums. The book is available in paperback and Kindle formats at Amazon.com and in iBook formats at iTunes. Please visit Kiss78SoloAlbums.com for further information. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the Kiss FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. We hope to see you again. 